for another episode of Occam's Razor, a podcast about the unexplained. Brought to you on Podcast Radio with your host, Jim Birchall. So this is Occam's Razor episode 51. Uh, I'm Jim Birchall. A couple of guests tonight. We're going to be talking uh, primarily about the recent congressional uh, hearings on UAPs that have happened in the US uh, for the first time in quite some time, I think 40 or 50 years or so. Um, So we've got Roger Stankovich from uh, MUFON Australasia on the show again tonight and we do have another guest but we're just having a couple of technical issues at the moment so for the time being i'll say hello roger how are you i'm good thanks jim glad to be um on your podcast again after many months that's right yes i have uh i do um run out of time to do podcasts is probably the best way to put it but um it sort of had to be in a bit of an emergency podcast this week in the sense uh well on the back of the UAP hearings uh, in Congress, which is a really big deal. Um, yep. Just kind of alerted to it, or a lot of people were alerted to it through Jeremy Corbell's uh, investigations, um, speaking uh, and his documentary about Bob Lazar, which uh, most people uh, have seen on Netflix with a passing interest in UFO- ufology. Um, so these hearings that we had last week, we heard a lot about uh, near misses of pilots. We heard a lot of UAPs um, sort of lingering around military bases and ships and all that sort of stuff, which ties in with the footage of the Tic Tacs that was released uh, a couple, three years ago now. Um, what did you take out of it? Um, I, I won't go as far as to say as much about nothing, um, but you know, just to have all this stuff tabled and in this forum, um is is something isn't it yeah i think um it's it's good it's great that the um uh u.s congress has taken uh, the bull by the horns uh, after 50 years and and then um uh looked at this phenomenon again in with new eyes and um uh with new technology to assess it properly um we're talking about 50 years ago, the sensory data then was not as good as what it is now. We've got flare, we've got all these new technologies that um, uh, we can assess uh, these UAPs with. And um, I think the impetus being as to why Congress has um, uh, decided to look at this again is because of um, uh, the interaction of the UAPs with military aircraft um, uh, in particular, the 2004 incident on the Nimitz and um, uh, basically um, uh, how uh, there could be a near miss, uh, oh, sorry, not a near miss, but a, a collision between uh, one of these UAPs, uh, which they don't know what it, what they are, and with the military aircraft. So that's initially what happened when um, I think uh, Lou Elizondo went to uh, Congress initially and stated um uh, what he what he stated, you know, what he'd found, and uh, and uh, uh, he um, the um, uh, the uh, problem with with um, 
the possibility of an, of an incident happening. And so um, Congress had to really take this up because uh, it comes under the safety banner. And um, so um, uh, they uh, obviously had the conference, had the, the hearing um, a few days ago. And I've looked at the, uh, I looked at it live. Uh, they started a bit early, so I missed the first part of it out, uh, first, first part out, but then we, I looked at the recording. And um, obviously they're talking a lot about um, uh, the cases that they've got now, 100, uh, 400 cases at the moment. And they um, initially had 144 cases uh, between um, 2004 and 2021, and now they've got 400. And they're saying that a lot of them are, are anecdotal cases that they've got recently or historical cases, which, which they've got recently. So um, it is interesting what they're saying. Uh, there's a, quite a few senators that uh, from both Republican and Democrat parties uh, had um, asked questions to um, uh, Ronald Moultrie, who is the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, and, Scott, and sorry, Stephen Bray, who is the, um, the head of the um, uh, uh, Office of uh, OMI, um, Naval Intelligence. So. Roger, do you yep. think these um, this congressional hearing is going to be the first of many? Is this just you know the the start of it, or is this something that's merely to satisfy the well the curious UFO community, or do you think people have got to the point where they're sort of saying enough's enough? We know you know something. Uh, we want to know what you know. Um, where's the glasnost here? I think I think there definitely will be more congressional hearings after this one. Um, it's been stated by several people that they just, you know, like, I mean, what's the point of having one congressional hearing, um, which is open to the public? Obviously, they're having a lot of um, uh, behind the closed doors, uh, what they called uh, closed, closed sessions. Um, so a lot of the, what they discuss um, and some of the sensitive stuff and classified stuff will be behind in closed sessions, but they will have an open forum for the public to discuss things again in further hearings in Congress. So I'm sure that some of the senators will bring up a lot of these matters again, and um, particularly the senators that have asked pertinent questions about some of the historical cases like uh, Maelstrom Air Force Base, uh, the incident there where um, 10 uh, ICBMs were simultaneously disabled by um, uh, what, what appeared to be a UFO hovering over uh, the, the entrance, the gate entrance there in 67. And also um, the Eric Wilson uh, EWD uh, MIMO that was um, uh, typed up and um, found, it was found in um, uh, uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell's um, files uh, after he'd passed away. Um, those notes uh, have been have been tabled by um, a senator by the name of Mike Gallagher and um, uh, good on him for doing that because this is something that really needs to be looked into. Um, this These notes um, uh, refer, uh, refer back to a special access programs within corp the corporate industry, corporate aerospace industry, where um, uh, there, there is an indication where that um, there might be uh, terrestrial craft, extraterrestrial craft that have, been, that, have been, that have crashed on Earth that they're trying to reverse engineer. So, and you know, a lot of people might laugh about that, but it's actually there is documentation and, and uh, there is substantial evidence to point to the fact that that could be the case. 
um, uh, Congress now has to go through this and there might be an investigation involving the FBI, we don't know. Um, there uh, could be, um, you know, I, I don't know which way it's going to go. It's going to be very, it's very sensitive stuff and maybe everything will, will occur uh, in a closed session and we won't get to know anything. Um, I don't know. Well, let's hope we get some sort of resolution to, you know, at least explain some of the some of these videos you know the tic tac and stuff we need to get some sort of clarity on on you know we're being told that we they don't know what these craft are they don't know if they're fought you know they don't think there any technology that that is current in u.s air force or u.s military um whether it's a foreign power they would have to be pretty advanced foreign power from what um you yeah. know, stages of development so like for someone like me, you know, layman who just kind of wants the answers to these things, it's getting to the point where people are just going to start demanding it now, you know, and I think it's the first step. Um, and as you say, it's probably still quite a long road ahead. Um, well, now that you, you mentioned that um, Senator Adam Schiff uh, did actually ask the question to Stephen Bray, um, if he knew uh, there were any foreign adversaries that have the technology that could move uh, without discernible means of propulsion. So, and Stephen Bray answered in the negative. In other words, he said that, no, I, we don't know of any, any uh, foreign adversaries that have, have uh, 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 aircraft that can move a zip round in, in, the, in the atmosphere or uh, in space, uh, sorry, in, in the atmosphere without any, um, any flight surfaces uh, like wings or, or something like that. And, um, and so basically, um, how do we get these objects, which we know, um, uh, you know, how, how do we how do we know what these objects are that uh, have no flight surfaces and yet they're they're moving at hypersonic velocities? How do they do that? You know, um, but uh, it was it was categorically stated by Stephen Bray that they don't think that they're at foreign adversaries. So if they're not foreign adversaries, well then what are they? And he qualified the statement by saying that. Um, uh it's you know it could be a, a a uh something to do with the sensory data that there could be uh the sensory data is not picking up you know this sort of information but i don't think that that would be the case it just doesn't seem logical that it's you know sensory data that uh, uh you know like the the, the uh, flare and uh, any other uh you know uh, visual systems sensory visual systems that they have could not pick up uh you know a flight surface on, on a vehicle that was you know that they they couldn't work out what it is you know yeah yeah we talked a little bit about reverse engineering earlier and the most famous um well, proponent of of the um s4 or the uh, alleged activities of s4 or area 51 was bob lazar um our <laughs> next guest he's just come online so tom uh he doesn't want us to use his last name so that that's fair enough um Got some stories to tell. Tom, I understand you were in the employ of Los Alamos at one point, home of the Manhattan Project. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. No, I, I didn't work at the lab. I had my own uh, business that uh, uh, I did work for the lab, you know, contract okay. type of thing. Not much, but I also uh, basically served the community. I stumbled across uh, Bob in uh, around 1983 when he opened up a uh, a shop in what was called the community center uh it's been torn down now and completely rebuilt but the building he was in is actually still there it's uh, 
180 119th Street to be exact. Mm-hmm. And um, the front end of it, he had a, uh, a one hour photo processing business, which I found out today he also had in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, he had the consulting uh, stuff he did in the back. I got to go in the back once, once or twice, and uh, just full of stuff that was way beyond my uh, <laughs> my pay grade, as it were. Um, of course, one of the one of the things that was fascinating about him is these he had these two little Honda cars, and he had put a, a jet engine from a cruise missile into one of them, and that was the famous jet car that was in the paper that uh, Edward Teller was supposed to have read when the two of them met. Sure. Um, on another occasion, I ran into um, oh, can't remember his name now, Rod Stewart, the singer. So he had uh, Bob put a a jet engine in the back of his Cadillac. (laughs) And uh, it's really strange to see the flames coming out of this thing. Um, So he was customizing cars. You there? I'm in trouble. I've got your time. Yeah, I was just saying, so he was customizing cars with... with... He really, he's quite an interesting man. Um, He's typical of... uh, the type of person that worked in Los Alamos, there were, when I lived there, which was between June of 81, and I left there June the 22nd of 1985. And I remember that because that's the day my dog died. Okay. Um, the uh, town was 18,000 at the, at the time, and there were over 4,000 PhDs living there. Uh, the only people that really used the term doctor were the dentists and the medical doctors. And uh, uh, give you an example, I was on a, uh, uh, a baseball team and I was the only one that didn't have a PhD. <laughs> Sarah. To give you an example, uh, I have two uni degrees and I'll tell you there are times when I felt like the village idiot. Yeah. <laughs> with, with some of the qualifications that uh, goes on, <clears throat> was on in that place, but it's a beautiful place to live, still is. Uh, clubs uh with all the secrecy going on the average guy he had to turn off what he was doing the minute he walked out the gate and take on a second life you know with a hobby or family or or whatever uh you know until he was uh at work the next morning yeah fascinating can can you give us much detail about what you were doing you said you contracted to the labs um most of the contracting i did the lab was either industrial photography but mostly was types photo typesetting. That was before there were you know desktop computers to do like that. Yeah. I also had a photo studio that was uh, it was down in White Rock, which is a suburb uh, that uh, did photography for uh, the community, such as you know senior portraits, weddings, that type of thing. Can I can I just ask the question? You can, mate. Yeah. Um, so um, Tom, you might have might have told me this before, but. Um, um, how, how often would you meet Bob uh, uh, during, like during the, the week or the month? Um, was it on a daily well, basis? Or? About about three times a week. And the reason for three that was uh, the um, I would take in uh, work that other people did, you know, like happy stamps type of thing. And um, oddly enough, with the way the tax codes were, if I went from where I was uh, living, which is all three blocks away, to his place, pick up the, the work, get back to the customer the next day, 
I could actually legally take that seven mile trip off of my taxes. So it worked really, you know, very legal. Uh, yeah. Worked very well for me. So I, I, saw, I saw him about three three times a week, talked to him a lot. Uh, and, and so what, what was your main, like if you, if you saw him um, say one day, what, what would you mainly discuss with him? What was his main interest and what, what, uh, what would you mainly talk about? Well, those, uh, the machine he was using, for one thing, we talk a lot about. And yeah. then uh, we, we talked about this thing with the, the Honeysuckle Ranch, uh, where he had put up all these souvenirs by the door from a, a brothel in Nevada called the Honeysuckle Ranch. <laughs> and uh, some woman complained to the police and said he was running a brothel inside. And he, uh, he told me the police showed up and demanded to see the back room. And of course, you know, it was just full of machinery. And um, things like that, um, you know. I, I what, really what, what would you, what would you think of his character? Was he a, a fairly like, um, because you you got to know him over a period of years, maybe eighty three to eighty five, I think. Uh, you yeah, said. two years. And, yeah, yeah, two years. Um, what would you say about his character in general? Was he the type of guy would which would make up um, a story like um, working at S four and you know. Uh, uh, reverse engineering, you know. Um, no, uh, I, I, I really, I really don't think so. Uh, the reason mm. is, like many of the scientists there, which was the reason they were there, he was very capable of thinking outside the box. Mm. Who, who would have thought of putting a jet engine in a little Honda car? To give you an example, um, some of his recent stuff that I've seen on the net with uh, a hydrogen. You know, he's got a hydrogen-powered car now. Uh, yes, I saw that video. Yeah, yeah, um, that's it's, fascinating. It's, it's kind of, unless you live there, it's kind of hard to uh, uh, to explain the type of people who lived in that town. Uh, the local high school, I mean, most of the kids were so smart; uh, it was un unbelievable. You know, someone got an eighty and something; they were considered a dunce. You know, they were they were that uh, that good in school and. Um, they just about all of them go to college. Uh, the, all the people I know, their kids ended up in college one place or another. But um, well, with, with regard, now that you got onto the subject of college, I just wanted to ask you because it, uh, it's a big sticking point with um, with uh, Bob's uh, past and Stanton Friedman. Um, uh, uh, the late Stanton Friedman always used to say, look, um, this guy's not legit because he said that he went to Caltech and MIT, but um, they did a search uh, for his, um, for him being there you know, as, a, as, a, as a, uh, a master's degree student or whatever he did, um, but there's no record of it. So um, uh, did he ever I, say to you anything I, about I being saw, at MIT or Caltech? I, I saw some stuff hanging on the wall at the shop that looked like degrees. I had mm -hmm. the same thing in my where I had all my my, uh, my two uni degrees and uh, uh, <clears throat> other awards from the, the PP of A, things like that. So he certainly was someplace because I saw yeah, do, a degree. Do you, remember, do you remember the no. details on the degree? No, no I, I didn't really need it. But it was definitely a it, degree. Yeah, you got to remember that is so common in Los Alamos. It, mm. you know, it's like finding a penny in the street. You don't even bother to pick it up. I was, I've always thought about that um, when, when Stanton Friedman, you know, questioned the integrity of his, well, his qualifications 
and, and his integrity overall as a result. You know, I, a guy who, who would be employed at a place like Los Alamos surely would have some sort of, you know, academic lineage. Um, could That's it be right. a case that he, he worked on projects so secretive that, that his identity was, you know, well, not erased, but erased. certainly um, is Bob Lazar even his real name? It's the first thing. Well, yeah, that's an interesting point, but as far as I know, that was his real name. I recently found out, and this was on the net, uh, that he also worked at the Sandia National Laboratories before Los Alamos, uh, which does, does a lot of the uh, atomic research. And two of the people he worked with uh, went on the net and said, this is BS. He worked with us, and they actually put a picture of him sitting at a desk with the two of them standing behind him. Hmm. So... Uh, if these guys are willing to put that on the line for their jobs, et cetera, um, although these days, yeah, I don't think you get away with trying to, you know, punish people for, for doing that. So he, he got, I don't know how he got up to the hill. He just showed up, uh, store opened one day and, uh, you know, there he was. And uh, I think, I think that yeah. um, uh, somebody, uh, question teller, uh, actually, went question teller about the fact that he, you know, did he actually interview Bob Lazar, and he, he, he um, denied, uh, have, or, or I'm not quite sure the details um, because I, I must have read about it a while ago, but he denied um, interviewing Bob or didn't uh, obfuscated the question somehow. But um, uh, did Bob say anything about being interviewed by Edward Teller before he came to? No, um, that whole the incident happened happened at very left oh okay the, yep. uh, that happened after um, you the story as i get it is now let, let me back up every six months there is a major scientific uh, or was a major scientific conference at the lab a lot of the original uh, manhattan project people that were still active were there uh color being a good example uh he was the head of the hydrogen bomb program uh, while uh, Oppie was doing um, the regular atom bomb. And um, he, he'd show up every once in a while. Um, so I, I thought nothing about the fact that, you know, the story goes that uh, thing about the jet car got into the paper and um, he, Teller was apparently, leading, they were on a break outside and he was reading the paper and Bob went over and said, hello, that's my car. And this fits in with the type of personality Bob has. He's, he's inc incredibly intelligent, but like a lot of intelligent people, not much political sense. Um, most of us, oh, that would tell her the grumpy old man, I'm not going near him. No, not Bob. You just go over and talk to him. He wasn't a friend. Did, did he ever give you the impression that... Um... You know, he was he was hiding. He was the kind of guy they've talked about his, his property being raided by federal agents and stuff from time to time. You know, trying to find um, you know explosives and stuff. I think it's the attention the FBI and the ATF. Is, is he the kind of guy who you think would have secret projects of his own going? You know, running um, perhaps illegally. Uh, <clears throat> I, I I don't think that he was ever raided by the feds in Los Alamos because the. That whole uh, sequence of us. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably, like I said, I found out today talking with uh, Jim, someone I was introduced to by uh, uh, Roger, that um, he also had this photo business going 
in uh, <clears throat> excuse me in um, Las Vegas. Oh, if any place, that would be where the Fed would have, uh, you know, hit to see if he had any uh, anything that he shouldn't have had. Um, I've heard stories that someone said he had does uh, had kept some of that uh, element one fifteen, yep. and uh, they raided his current place in. Um, <clears throat> where is it, Roger? I can't remember. Oregon? Um. United, uh, I don't, yeah, you're not, not quite sure. United, United, I think, uh, yeah, well, but it's to... Oregon, and um, I, I had heard nuclear. that, um, yeah, United Nuclear, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if that was just something you know, the government decided, well, we'd better check on this, or whether it was a form of harassment. I, I just don't know. Yeah. I would think by now they're finished messing with them. Um, they're just going to make it worse for themselves. And we're getting so close, I think, to the big disclosure. I, I'm of the opinion that um, they've been grooming us through sci-fi movies and things like Stargate on television. They've been grooming us for a couple of decades now to accept the fact that we're not alone. Yeah. So I think it's a whole different agenda at this point. One... Tom, I'd like to get your opinion on this and Roger, given your MUFON background. Um, skeptics, one of the things they often say is why why don't we have any clear, you know, sort of 4D um, footage of UAPs or UFOs? Um, and it, the ones that obviously have been released with the Tic Tac and stuff, you know, they are still taken at night and, you know, I won't say they're grainy, they're relatively good in terms of definition but you know that it's not as clear as it possibly could be to satisfy someone with a skeptical mind there is a theory yeah, that I, sorry there is a theory that the best footage is not for public display does that make any sense and do you give that any any credence wouldn't surprise um, me the, the problem with the average person taking a picture of a ufo they're taking it with their phones yeah now their phone or even an automatic 35 millimeter or digital today, it's gonna to take an average exposure for the scene. And if they're taking at night, things trying to open up as wide as possible to compensate for the black sky. Well, of course, the UFO, which for uh, Bob had mentioned something about why they light up at night. I don't remember what it was, but obviously with it wide open, it's just gonna come up as a white dot. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, all the yeah. detail is going, to, is going to be washed out. Um, yeah, I mean, anyone, anyone could take a photograph of the, I took a photograph of the full moon once because it was just so brilliant and everything. And it was, it was just a really crappy um, photo when I looked at it. And I thought, oh my God, you know, like I, I can imagine anyone taking um, a, a video or photograph of a, UF, of a UAP at night. Um, it is only be as it, it appears a little speck, as as um, Tom was saying. You know, there's no zoom, you know, facilities. There's no, you know, uh, the um, the lighting's wrong. But there, there is just to answer your question about. Um, sorry to interrupt you, Tom. Um, there is a, a a video currently out on what uh, was taken in 2009, I believe, of a. Uh, a security guide that um, lived in Turkey and it was off the um, the Black Sea, I think, where he, he videoed a 
a UFO off the coast of the Black Sea and had a, a zoom lens on and he got this brilliant footage of this um, unidentified craft that was hovering. And uh, you, he zoomed in on it and you could actually see the craft and you could see portals. Yeah, so he, he zoomed into onto this um, hovering, uh, what appeared to be a, uh, a, a sort of like a, a disc shaped craft that, um, and you could even see the portal and you could almost make out some, uh, an en uh, entities in the portal. And that has actually never been debunked yet. Mm. Uh, that happened in 2009. And this is the sort of footage that you sort of like, it's sort of like, um, you know, almost smoking gun footage. Um, there's been a lot of debunkers that have tried and tried and tried to debunk this video, but no one to date has actually debunked it. And there's been a lot of analysis going on. Um, Lou Elizondo had mentioned um, on several occasions that um, there is footage that's very, very convincing that, that a lot of people haven't seen. I'm not sure whether he's referring to this this um, video um, uh, that this this guy took um, in Turkey in 2009, but um, there there is you know uh, something out in the public that there's this case out in the public arena which um, uh, you know shows and and you get they like some people have analysed this video and further. Um, you know, um, zoomed in on the portal and you, you could almost, you know, swear you could see uh, two or three entities in it. And they look like the classical grey aliens, but, uh, you know, that you can make the outlines, the eye shape and everything. And it's, it's quite, quite bizarre and quite weird. Um, but I think that there is a lot of um, video evidence in uh, that, that, that currently lies um, with the uh, the UAP task force between 2004 and 2001, that obviously they haven't. It's classified for whatever reason, um, and uh, you know it, it's going to show something fairly, you know, astounding in uh, compared to what we've already seen uh, in terms of the Nimitz footage and and whatever. I think there's there definitely is footage out there that would you know blow your socks off because um you know it's been mentioned before by by uh, a lot of people um, uh, in the know and, you know, people like Lou and even, um, you know, people like uh, 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 Chris Mellon and a few others. So uh, it's, it, you know, because obviously um, Tom didn't know Bob before he allegedly got involved in S4 and his project there with um, allegedly looking at, at, you know, reverse engineer craft. But did Bob say anything to you, Tom, uh, on the topic of UFOs or anything paranormal prior to you know uh, when you when he when you knew him never never, never. Yeah. but uh, look let me get back to what I was saying earlier uh, yeah. people did not talk about their work yeah you know um my best friend there he would like at the lab uh, when they got in a uh, uh, another prey uh well the whole town knew about that uh, they kept getting more and more of them in, and uh, that's about the only thing you'd really, really hear about it. Um, the security, I had, uh, I had an account on the uh, one of the lab's computers. All the this is funny. All the computers were named after characters in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> and uh, one of the portals to the internet was called Zapod. And um, I had I had an account on that machine. I could get in. Uh, in Unix, there's a thing called talk, where you just basically type each other. 
and uh, I could keep up with, you know, friends that way until uh, they had this issue of a Chinese guy that was uh, uh, managed to get nuclear secrets out of the out of the lab. So they came down like a ton of bricks on uh, any kind of outside stuff. And I've, I've said for years, if you don't want to get hacked, don't go on the net. Simple as that. Mm. What sort of uh, firewall safeguards and stuff did they have in those days? Obviously, the internet was in its infancy then. Um, oh, let's see. We're talking about, oh, let's say uh, <clears throat> when I was coming in for um, <clears throat> going back to, I went back to college after uh, uh, I wanted to pick up a, a master's degree. And um, I was on a campus called the Auraria campus, which has uh, uh, three um, colleges on it. And I had an account on the the college computer was a, a deck. And uh, so I could get to him. This is before the internet got hot. Yeah. So I was actually on the ARPANET uh, talking to him. But that particular machine um, really wasn't connected to anything important. And one of the things I did for my friend is um, try and break in, not using my passwords and stuff like that. And if I managed to do it, I had a program sitting in there in that computer that was a 500 pages of just a period. And if he walked in in the morning, there's 500 sheets of paper on the floor. <laughs> he knew I got in. Yeah. And I wouldn't tell him how I was getting in, but what it was, it was a it was a hole in uh, one of the early Unix uh, editors. Um, i trying to remember the name of it. No, it's not important. But basically what happens is, is that um, <clears throat> this flaw in Unix, if you took that particular uh, file and you wrote something and it was, say, a driver, uh, this thing would automatically take what you wrote and replace the driver on the machine without asking you. <laughs> so there was actually a hole in there. And what I had done, I got in, of course, you know, they were... Uh, they weren't going to risk anything because they knew what I was doing. And I basically got in and I set up about 10 accounts for myself. And I'd get in, paper on the floor, so on and so forth. I finally had to tell them uh, what was going on. And all of a sudden that came up, that particular program uh, came off all the machines. Yeah. So early software wasn't as, wasn't as safe as, uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah. we have today, no. Yeah, it's very much so. Yeah. Um, the The internet is such a mess right now that uh, all the national labs, they, they reopened the ARPANET and they're using that now again. I was just bringing um, the internet up in the sense that when we were just talking about footage and, and the theory that the best footage um, doesn't get released for whatever reason, whether, whether it gets, uh, that's by interdiction from, from federal agents or more sinister um, you know, men in black types. Um, is it, do, do you think there's any, how, how do they stop or how would they remove things from the internet? If someone these days, you know, someone gets some pretty good UFO footage, they upload it through Facebook or, or whatever, what are the forum they're using? Um, have you heard any anecdotes, Roger, this would be maybe something for you of that footage sort of disappearing? Um, I have, um, we had a, a someone send us a report um, and uh, he allegedly had some footage on his computer and he reckons that the um, 
uh, a three-letter company uh, 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 had, uh, not company, but um, you know, someone like the FBI and CIA had hacked into his computer and and um, and uh, erased it all from his computer. But I, I I'm not uh, entirely convinced that um, that actually happened. This guy uh, that um, uh, did the you know, made the report. Um, and I won't mention his name, obviously, I don't even remember his name, but um, basically um, um, he didn't seem quite legit to me. So uh, yeah. I, 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 it's only, it, it was reported in the media. Um, and, um, but, uh, you know, I can't verify that that actually did occur, but I don't know of any, I don't know whether the, uh, the US government or any other government would be interested, I suppose, in, in taking anything down off the internet because a lot of the stuff is just not up to the standard that the military would get in terms of um you know clarity and and obviously they've got they've got you know like you know forward looking uh infrared uh now and you know uh they can see things in, in a lot more in, in in different uh, perspectives uh rather than just a, a normal camera so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that they would be interested. To be honest, um, they've got what they've got, and they've what they've um, got from the military. And um, you know, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether they they would do that. To be honest, why did the Nimitz footage take so long to come out? The Nimitz Nimitz footage. Yeah. Um, it had come out in two thousand and four. Yeah. Um, it was found, and, and the video was actually released many years ago um, on uh, a, a German uh, guy, uh, somebody from Germany had uh, put it on the internet, and um, everyone just ignored it and didn't. And so I thought, oh, well, so what? You know, um, it, it doesn't make sense. And, um, you know, they looked at it and thought, um, you know, so what? And, and basically, it wasn't until um chris mellon was given the tapes and and leslie keen and um and chris mellon got together and went to um new york times and spoke to um the editor there which i've forgotten his name but um and and then they showed him the footage and basically um said look this is real um you know like shouldn't you report on this and and that's when the the footage came out initially in december 2017 and um, it went completely viral across the world. Obviously, it um, you know um, uh, they did a good article on it, and um, and uh, and uh, you know, but the footage was out there before uh, many years ago, prior to 2017. But people just didn't realise the the actual um, uh, the uh, the impact would, would it would have on and completely like blow this uh the the phenomenon you know uh out into the the general public the worldwide public you know and was the air force's stance that it's been out there for so long we have to answer all these questions and that's why they sort of and that's why they addressed it yeah um yep uh i suppose uh that the nimitz footage was uh pretty uh crucial in determine uh in Oh, Navy um, wasn't it? Sorry, not Navy. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, it uh, uh, it was instrumental in um, in a, in a way um, because uh, it was unexplained and uh, it was reported. Um, some of that data was actually obfuscated uh, initially. The sensory data was taken off the ship initially. Um, helicopter landed and 
and some officials came out and just the the accounts of the the pilots had made that they'd um, taken the sensory data and you know um, uh, but then um, you know it was too late basically the you know the it, it got out you know somebody got a hand on a hang, hang sorry somebody got a hold of um, the flare footage and um, put it on the internet and so um, I'm sure that there's a lot more sensory data on the disc that they got that um, uh, hasn't been made public. Yeah, there could be. There could be. I mean, that was just one uh, one guy uh, who got out after. Um, uh, unfortunately, the footage that um, that uh, Fraber, um, sorry, the uh, uh, the uh, when when Fraber went out with um, his. Uh, his uh, uh, the, the lady I forgot her name uh, the other pilot um, uh, basically that there was no footage taken of that Alex, Alex Dietrich wasn't Dietrich Alex Dietrich yeah, yeah. Alex Dietrich um, uh, so there was no footage taken of that incident where they saw the white water and then the the, the tic tac um, you know uh, doing a ping pong uh, act <laughs> over the <laughs> over the white water. Um, and uh, unfortunately, there was no footage of that. But then they sent out another pilot, and because they were almost about to run out of fuel, and um, so they had to go back to the, the the carrier, the you know aircraft carrier. And but they sent somebody else out, and then uh, they took the initial clear footage. But I'm sure that there's a lot more. Um, you know, there's gun cameras on on all these aircraft, and I don't, you know, like I mean, I don't know why. I, I'm really not sure whether um, you know Fravor had his his. You know, it has got gun camera footage in it, and same with Alex Dietrich. Um, I don't know whether they actually, had, you know, took any gun camera footage at the time, but if they did, we haven't seen it. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that that was the, uh, you know, one of the one of the reasons why the the, the um, Office of Naval Intelligence um, was forced to you know, to uh, to say that, you know. Um, uh, we need to look into this and what, what you know the public was saying uh, putting pressure on them uh through um uh the new york times publications that's one of the reasons i mean there's other reasons as to why you know they had this hearing but that was uh, fairly instrumental in in terms of um and also the fact that you know um uh these um objects you know could could collide with a, an aircraft i mean there was in one incident where um a cube shaped um uh, uh, UFO had zipped past two um, F-A-18 Hornets and they thought they were going to collide with it and that report I think was made to Congress and by I think Lou, had, I don't know, not sure, but there was a report made to Congress about a near miss there and then um, they um, obviously uh, because of safety reasons this had to be, you know, they applied a lot more pressure on Congress to actually look into the matter, um, but they're still not saying that the the objects are actually extraterrestrial. They they're still saying that they don't know what they are. That, uh, they're uh, to a certain degree they're excluding foreign adversaries because they're saying, well, they've got no flight surfaces, so how can they? You know, they they don't know that these foreign adversaries have uh, aircraft that don't have flight surfaces. So if they aren't foreign adversaries. What do they think they are? And you know, um, mm. yeah. I, what else could they be? What else could it be? Yeah. Mm. We talked, Tom, a little bit earlier. You talked a little bit earlier about 
um, the belief that we're being ready, we being the public or the humankind being uh, readied for full disclosure. Um, how far away do you think that is, given that the wheel's obviously in motion at the moment and, and people who perhaps didn't believe in extraterrestrial life previously um, are now starting to sort of really question things as well. So on the whole, is this, you know, five-year process, 10-year process? Is we just being bedded in now or is it something that, you know, in terms of misinformation, this is just all deflection, just a sort of something, an annoying problem for the government that, that or the US government or, or whatever? Is it? I, if, look, if I was them, I would be very quietly going around and just trying to find out, you know, taking like a poll. You know, how would you feel if this this thing of the happened in yeah. 1955 when uh, you know you had a whole slew of these things sitting over uh, the Capitol building in Washington D.C. 52. The 52. The the biggest concern seemed to be is that. If they admit these things are real, that organized religion would fall apart and there'd be chaos. Yeah. Uh, considering um, wearing thin, isn't it? Pardon? That excuse is wearing a bit thin now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, at least in America. I mean, yeah. in the Middle East, it might, it might be a serious problem. Mm -hmm. um, probably, I give it three years. Three years. Three years. Um, Why is that? Why can you put a number on it? What makes you think three? I, I think what they're going to do is they'll have these hearings. And unless they're planning on dumping us, dumping it on us now, well, they'll let it cool off for a while to yeah. try and, you know, figure out how the people feel about the whole thing. And they'll pick it up again. So somewhere two to three years, we'll get the whole story. Um, the media probably wants to talk about Roswell more than anything else. Yeah. Because every, everyone's heard of Roswell, even though the, the crashes really didn't happen in Roswell. Uh, no. The closest one to Roswell was really uh, around south of Corona, which is a teeny little town north of, uh, of Roswell uh, itself. And um, as, as I was telling Roger, I've been working on this project trying to pinpoint, oh, by the way, I figured out that there were not one crash at Roswell. There were six. Six. And the reason I, the reason I think there were six is now there's one in 1945 in San Antonio. There was one in 1946 in um, <clears throat> um, Mirabella, or I can't remember the name of the town. Um, and then, of course, late 46 and then the, the two in 47. Uh, they all seem to be happening along the 37th parallel for some strange reason. I don't know if ET gets power from that part of the world, but they're all between 32.1 and 32.5 degrees of uh, north latitude. Mm. Um, also, if you continue in that line, you come into the Apache National Forest, which is where Travis Walt was uh, abducted in 1975, also yeah. within that, uh, that parameter. So, there is a lot to be said about, uh, you know, the whole Roswell thing. If I was them and I wanted to come clean, but not really come clean, you know, just satisfy the, the media or whatever, I'd stick to Roswell. You know. Um, because it's the most well-known? 
is because it's a well-known, you know, there's all this stuff. I don't know if you've heard of Dulce, New Mexico. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's that, which nobody wants to talk about. Uh, cattle like, mutilations. Um, I just picked up a book called The 37th Parallel. And apparently strange things happen along that latitude, too. I haven't read the book. I just got it in the mail two days ago. Because there is one, there's <clears> one <throat> theory that um, these crashes, extraterrestrial craft have trouble with uh, magnetic fields, don't they? Is there any correlation between the parallel that in one in particular and any particularly strong magnetic fields? Roger, is that something you know about? No, um, I, I don't know much about that. All I know is I did have a long discussion with uh, Tom about um, uh, radar facilities um, uh, at the time when um, uh, the first craft had crashed. And um, uh, it's, uh, I suppose, in pop culture, it's, it's, it's thought that um, uh, the, the, and Tom knows more about this than I do. Um, and the strength um, of the, the radar facilities that they had there, the radar would interfere with some of the craft and cause them to, mm. to lose control and then um, crash. But Tom, can, can you take over there? And just the strongest radar we had, we had in that area was only 375 watts. Uh, that's not like today where if you go high enough on a ship and get in front of the, uh, uh, the radar set, you'll boil your brains out. Uh, yeah. it's just not that heavy. I mean, your hair might go tingly, but it's certainly not enough to shoot down a UFO, which some people are claiming. So that's ridiculous. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, that seems like a lot of crashes to me, um, particularly with uh, visitors with advanced technology. So what does cause these crashes in your opinion? Just technical faults like we have? Well, the thing with the 32nd parallel now with the 37th, um, after seeing a lot of reports where uh, I call them ET is sitting in the Aurora Borealis mm -hmm. just sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking maybe there are fields around the earth that are highly magnetic, mag magnetically charged or a type of power we're unfamiliar with that they can soak up and use especially in the Aurora Borealis and um <sighs> Or it's easier, you know, because of a magnetic field. Maybe mm -hmm. it's, they're like sliding on these parallels, you know, Use rather than well, if, uh, highway. If they've got, if sorry to interrupt, if they've got um, uh, anti gravity propulsion systems, um, yeah, magnetic fields would would uh, might interact with, with that um, propulsion device. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you would, well, the, sorry, go ahead. There's, a, there's also the issue that uh, UFOs are seen a lot along what they call ley lines. Yeah. If you're familiar, familiar with what they are. Um, I'm not a physicist, so I, you know, I can only guess. So you'd be, you'd be speculating whether the ley lines had something to do with some sort of interference of the, of the navigation systems or well, the propulsion because they're crashing, aren't they? So, hmm. well, or I, the ley I, lines are. Uh, or the ley lines are actually used to navigate by. Could be interesting. I mean, that, yeah. What do you think about that, uh, Roger? Um, I, I could play the devil devil's advocate here. That's because okay. um, if if they, if, uh, you know, as a lot of 
debunkers say and skeptics say, well, you know, like if they can figure out how to get here, um, surely they can, you know, they would have sussed out the, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, I'm uh, sorry, the, you know, magnetic um, properties of the, the earth and, and navigated around the, that problem. Um, it's hard to say, but um, I, I, I think I mentioned that before in a previous podcast that um, it doesn't matter um, how advanced the technology, um, you know, shit happens. And basically, um, look at the space, space shuttles that we've had. We've had two incidences of them. They weren't one of our um, most advanced, you know, spacecraft that we've ever had. Um, and both of them had crashed. So it doesn't make sense to say, um, no matter how, you know, like, it, it, you know, it's an advanced spacecraft. So have, why is it crashing? Uh, um, you know, things do happen. What I mean, sorry, is what I mean is if they could travel, you know, where they're utilizing wormhole technology or whatever, if they can make it into our atmosphere um, that easily or relatively easily, you know, why are they crashing when they, when they come? You know, when they're closer to the planet, why are they crashing? What's causing that? Well, um, uh, look, I've spoken to other people and Tom as well. Have some, um, Tom has a, uh, can I just say this, Tom, um, has a theory about um, uh, uh, the fact that um, some of them might be at, at, um, at odds with each other. So they're, you know, they're um, firing at each other and basically there, there might be a different species that's, um, you know, um, having a problem it's not only just tom's not the only person that's that's suggested that to me but um i have had other people um that have suggested that there could be some sort of animosity between the craft uh, you know between the species and and they're shutting each other down i don't know well it, as i had speculated um given the mindset of the day i would tend to think that they would be more afraid of, of letting the population of 1947 1948 know that there's a, a war going on between alien species right over our planet or on our planet, rather than the, the actual existence of a UFO. We've yeah. just gotten over the Second World War. It's the true. Cold War is in full, you know, blast. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the last thing. Yeah. That's the last thing they needed yeah. to yeah. worry about. True. Yeah, I think, I think that, um, that that's true. And also, um, uh, I'm talking about disclosure. Um, Basically, I, I, I was on 90, uh, Mix 94.5 recently, and I mentioned something about, well, somebody asked me a question, um, you know, uh, about disclosure. And I think that um, if, if it was fully disclosed that um, these craft are extraterrestrial, it would open a Pandora's box up because basically there's uh, the, the phenomenon is multifaceted. You've got, um, as Tom brought up, animal mutilations, uh, crop circles, we've got uh, abductions uh, that are all sort of like still, um, they're mysteries. We don't know whether they're real or not. Uh, animal mutilations for sure are real. So are crop circles, but some of them can be hoaxed. The animal mutilations are one of the most uh, unexplainable things that are happening at the moment. Um, and no one's ever been uh, caught doing anything to an animal that replicates what the evidence is. And uh, the UFO phenomenon has been associated with that on, on, on a number of occasions. So uh, this, you know, like by, and, and also the abduction, uh, you know, abduction, abduction cases, where this will open up a Pandora's box where people will be asking questions that are so sensitive and pushing to get answers 
and um and also you know if there is warfare between species i'm, I'm just speculating you know like really putting you know uh you know ideas out of the box here mm. saying um basically um how is the pop how's the how are we going to take um uh the the uh, you know how are we going to take you know the answers to these questions and like if you know if we do push to get answers um is you know is the government going to say yes we we are aware that you know these things are happening um and um this is you know uh, are they going to keep it secret are they going to uh, are we going to force them to actually um you know disclose that information and i think that basically um there might be some sort of um what i'd say um resistance to disclosure because of the fact that we have all these very very sensitive things that the government knows it's going to be like up against a, a, you know like a, between a rock and a hard place answering those questions yeah 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 there's there's one other thing too that i i wondered about um they opened the door to this whole thing what about the people that say they have been abducted? Will they suffer any kind of discrimination? Uh, you know, because they're weird or something's been done to them because they're dangerous well, now, or you know, that, even, that type of thing. Do you mean even like worse. so? Do you mean like implants and things like that, Tom? Yeah, among other things. Yeah, but even worse than that, um, it would be like, I mean, if you know that abductions are occurring. Um, wouldn't the public panic thinking, oh, I could be abducted by a UFO? You know, it's happening. It's It's been disclosed. So um, wouldn't that cause some panic? Mm. Undoubtedly. I mean, not everyone would take it well, would they? No, no. No, I mean, people like us who, you know, obviously interested in um, disclosure and, you know, what's really going on, um, it's not going to be as much of a surprise to us if and when disclosure mm. happens. But for some people who live their life perhaps a bit more, a bit more linear, you know, in a box, perhaps they have sort of predetermined ideas about um, life and death and 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 you know and, and meeting their end, um, perhaps won't be able to handle it. Um, and yeah, I don't know how they take it. To be honest, yeah. It's certainly interesting times. Mm. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, guys. Um, just running out of time. We come up onto the hour um, stage anyway, but we could probably talk all night about... Well, it's very late where you are, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's uh, <laughs> 12.13 a.m. Yeah. Uh, there's a 5.30 in the morning, too? Um, <laughs> it's when I get I'm up. retired. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. Thanks, uh, Tom. Thanks, Roger, as usual. Yeah. Um, it's my pleasure. 